Well, let me draw a couple of real important things to your attention before we actually open up the scriptures together. Um, upcoming things that I want to make sure are uh, on your calendar. The first is next Sunday night and the following Monday, North Wake is hosting a symposium on uh, Christian Stewardship Symposium on Falls Lake. Um, this will be a collection of scientists and environmentalists from the community. Uh, meeting up with some theologians from the seminary and having a conversation about this. So it's an extraordinary uh, opportunity for us as a church to love well some of our neighbors who will not typically enter our doors. So let me encourage you. One, uh, this conference is open to the public free of charge. So if you have an interest in Falls Lake and its health, uh, it gets so... Um, Degraded at times, we can't even do our baptisms out there um, certain days. So if you have an interest in that, I encourage you to come. It will be heady. I've seen the agenda. Uh, put your thinking cap on, plan to learn a few things. Um, but you are welcome to come and just enjoy the conference. There's no charge. But we need a handful of people to greet, run the coffee bar, run an information table so we can answer questions about our church or about the community for people who are from out of town. Uh, we want to love well. Um, the community that's going to be coming here to be served by us. And if you go to our website or if you click on the link through the one that you received this week, there are opportunities for you to sign up and serve there. That's, um, that's an important opportunity for us. Also, the following Tuesday on May 8th, um, there is a marriage amendment in North Carolina that proposes to define marriage as between one man and one woman. Our elders are in unanimous agreement that this is a good endorsement uh, for our church um, to vote for this amendment. Um, there are links available on our website with more information, but we encourage you to prayerfully and responsibly vote on this matter on May 8th. Vote for this amendment. And there's a lot more information provided at our website. The third thing is tonight, we are meeting at 6 p.m. to pray. It's been bumped up a week because of the symposium next Sunday night. But we, uh, we encourage you to come tonight. We will be praying about that marriage amendment with part of our time. We will be using the rest of our time to pray for friends and family of yours who've been ensnared in some kind of sexual sin. Okay. I know that many of you have friends that you deeply care about and family members who've fallen into deep snares in these matters, whether it's pornography or adultery or a same-sex attraction, and we want to pray God's merciful power into their lives to free them and rescue them from that tonight. So I don't think I have to say much about how important the prayers of the church are in those people's lives. I hope you'll come and join us tonight at 6 o'clock. Um, what we are doing now, though, is eavesdropping on Moses' second sermon that makes up the core of the book of Deuteronomy. You can open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy 12. That's where we'll be. If you think my sermons are long, this one runs from chapter 5 to about chapter 28 of the book of Deuteronomy. It's all one sermon. Um, it's not really the length of the sermon that's going to be so challenging for us. We'll chop it up in little pieces. It's the content that's going to be challenging. Um, from chapters 12, where we are today, to chapters 26, is what's sometimes called the Deuteronomic Code. It is a bunch of laws 
that were designed to regulate the life of Israel when they entered the promised land, which they were just about to do. Okay. This was, these were laws designed to show them how to live a life that honored God in the promised land um, at that time. They are quite specific. Let me give you an example of some of the laws we're going to run into in the book of Deuteronomy. This is from chapter 22. It says, If you come across a bird's nest in any tree or on the ground with young ones or eggs and the mother sitting on the young one or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. Okay, this is in the Bible. I am not kidding you, right? And I am going to preach on it. I'm not kidding about that either. So if you're not in the custom of praying for your pastor, now would be a really good time to start. Because it says, you shall let the mother go, but the young you may take for yourself, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long. So if you kill a mother bird, it might shorten your life, Moses is saying. When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof, that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house, if anyone should fall from it. Some of you are rethinking your house plans at this point in time. You shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, lest the whole yield be forfeited, the crop that you have sown and the yield of the vineyard. Very specific laws for a very specific people in a very specific place and time. We, however, are the people of God living in this place and in this time. And as the Apostle Paul says in a number of places, in a number of ways in the New Testament, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So if we're, if we're living here, not there, now, not then, and we're not under the law, then what good is it? Um, how do we relate to it? Some of you are thinking, can I just skip the sermons until August when we emerge from this section of Deuteronomy? But I want to assure you today, and I hope demonstrate for you today, that this portion of Scripture... These laws of Moses, they are still very much that. They are sacred scripture, the very words of God, inspired by him, and are given to us in our day, in this place, for our good. You're going to see from these scriptures a remarkable portrait of God, a stunning and awesome portrait of God throughout these legal sections. They're going to show us what kind of people he wants us to be, more by principle than by precept, but there are strong applications that come out of the law for our lives. And as such, they protect us from sin. They point us to Christ, who is the fulfillment of this law, the end of the law, Romans says. Um, these laws are for our good in these and numerous other ways. I'm going to you're going to see some of that coming out even today as we work through chapter 12. But, okay, this is not simple. It is not easy. You are going to have to stay awake and put your thinking caps on. Okay? You, you cannot doze through this one and know what's going on. The law is demanding of us. We're going to have to think carefully. You're going to have to read the passage before you come. You're going to have to listen attentively, take some notes, and scratch your head some more after we're done. It is going to demand a great deal of us. And so today as we begin our journey, open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy 12. Let me pray for us, and we'll dive in.
Father, in your kindness now, show us your glory through your word, even these laws. Show us what you ask of your people that we might honor you. Show us how you love us and protect us by your word. And Lord, may we love and honor your word more, especially these sections we have neglected more than we ever have because of the time we spend with you, even now. So we commit these things to you and ask for your grace in Christ's name. Amen. Chapter 12 starts this way. These are the statutes and rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. So all these commandments that are going to unfold between now and the end of chapter 26, they're not for information. They're not for entertainment. They are to be done. They are to be obeyed. Um, it's interesting, in the book of Deuteronomy, this theme of obedience, of doing and obeying and keeping and observing and hearing um, occurs nearly 200 times in these three sermons Moses gives. That's why our emphasis this year in teaching the book of Deuteronomy is right there at the bottom of the screen on all the slides. We want to this year grow in giving a loving obedience to our loving God. When we're done with Deuteronomy, we want to be more obedient than when we started. It's a restatement, really, of chapter 6, this great call. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Um, love and obedience are inseparable in the life of of the people of God. Jesus reaffirms it. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If we don't obey God, can we really then say that we love him with all our hearts? So far, we've been talking a lot about obedience. It's been a common theme. You should begin to have a sense about some areas of your life where you need to shore up your obedience. The Ten Commandments are a great kind of heart check on these things. They actually provide a loose outline of the legal section of the book we're about to start walking through. But here are those commandments. No other gods. No idols. Don't misuse God's name. Keep the Sabbath holy. Honor your parents. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. Where is God calling you to a greater obedience? Which of those commands is your number one command? Today, chapter 12, is an implementation for the people of Israel of those first two commands as they enter the land. The commands read like this. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that's on the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. In this chapter, Moses is safeguarding the people from sliding into idolatry once they enter the promised land. Okay. Don't miss this. The law is given to the people, not just as a constraint upon them, but as a loving protection for them. 
The law is an expression of the love of God for his people. And we'll see that, I think, real explicitly today. It starts right away in verse 2. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods. On the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their asherim with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You may have picked up on just a little bit of severity in the language there. Okay? Destroy, tear down, dash to pieces, burn chop down and destroy their very name. Moses wants absolutely no chance to exist that the people could be sucked into idolatrous practices of the peoples who lived in the land before them. He closes with that expression, destroying the very name of their gods from that place. The total removal of their power and presence. Idols are not to be tolerated. They are to be destroyed. What would this kind of radical obedience to safeguard your soul from idolatrous practices look like in your life? Would there be for you no internet? Would there be no cable? No NFL ticket? Would there be no boat? No fishing license? Would there be no parade of homes? No recreational mall visits? No ice cream in the freezer? No credit cards? No six-pack in the fridge? No tanning bed? I'm not saying these things are bad in and of themselves. They are not. But they may be dangerous places for you. There may be places where you have worshipped idolatrously before, looking to these very things for comfort and satisfaction when you should have been looking to Yahweh, your God, for that satisfaction and comfort. I have a friend who cannot drink wine. He is not under a seminary oath that prohibits him. But he used to be an addict. And even a glass of wine takes him back to a place. It awakens desires in his heart that are idolatrous for him. Do you have a place like that? Do you know where it is? Have you chopped it up and destroyed it, or are you tolerating it? A couple weeks ago, I had the privilege of going on a a solitude retreat that our elders afford me every uh, spring and fall to restore my soul and do some thinking and planning for uh, the church. Um, And this year I went to a place called Fort Caswell. It's a Baptist retreat located on Oak Island, uh, North Carolina. Absolutely amazing place. And uh, when I went there, I took my bike and I went for a bike ride and I took a wrong turn. And and I left the island. And once you leave the island, there's really only one way back on the island, and that's over uh, that bridge right there. I, I was supposed to be out here, and I'd gotten myself all lost and out here. And so I'm about 
10 to 12 miles farther than I am supposed to ride, and I'm about to die, and I start over this bridge. Now, the, the good thing about this bridge is that it has really wide shoulders, okay? They're like six, eight feet wide, um, and that's good if you're on a, a bicycle. Um, what's bad about this bridge is it's really, really tall, okay? It's, it's really tall. And, and it has little bitty railings that come up to about your knee, okay? So I'm about to die, and I'm riding up this bridge, just trying to make it up the bridge. And at the beach, the winds gust, little railing about my knees, cars, or I'm way over next to the car lane. I am not anywhere near that railing. I'm thinking my tire's going to, a bird is going to hit me and knock me off my bike. A pelican is going to take me out. I'm going to plunge to my death. I'm no, I don't go near the edge. Now you can call that chicken if you want to. I call it wise. Okay? Now, with our idols, we often are not that aware of that danger. Or we choose not to be and we ride right along the edge. So we do silly things, careless things. We go on a diet, but the fridge is stacked with Ben and Jerry's, right? We swear off porn, but we have unfiltered, unaccountable internet access. We realize that TV is eating up our discretionary, that is our family time, but we won't cancel cable or we buy that big flat screen TV anyway. You know, it's interesting. If you go into our church conference room, there's about a 55 or 60 inch flat screen TV that uses as a monitor when we talk to our missionaries in our conference room. That's, that's one of our members of our congregation's way of getting an idol out of his living room. What will you do to safeguard your soul from those idols? The ones that endanger you. Moses says, and Moses is speaking for God here. He is not making this up. Surely destroy, tear down, dash to pieces, burn, Chop down and again destroy their name from this place. Will you? Will you? See, because Moses says, You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes, the contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your freewill offerings, the firstborn of your herd and your flock. There you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your households, in all that you undertake, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. See, they were not to worship Yahweh, the one true God, in the same fashion that the people before them in the land had worshipped their idols. 
They were to live different and worship different because they served a different God, Yahweh, the one true God. There was to be no syncretism. God would not even share place with these so-called gods. There was to be no Yahweh plus Baal, one of the Canaanite gods of fertility, no Yahweh plus Dagon, one of their crop gods of crop fertility. No, it was not Yahweh plus, it was Yahweh period. Now with the idols that allure your heart, are you trying to do Yahweh plus? You shall not worship Yahweh your God in that way. He says in verse 8, you shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, Moses says. Everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. So the contrast here is between they've been wandering around the wilderness for 40 years and they've kind of had ad hoc approaches to worship. When they get in the land, there's some very specific laws that Moses is giving them. They are to do it according to God's way. But this expression, um, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes, that's not a happy expression elsewhere in the Bible. It implies doing what you want as opposed to what God has said. And so the point here is that they cannot worship as the pagans did in the land, nor can they just make it up. They were not to be do-it-yourselfers. As an expression of their love for God and in embracing his loving protection for them, they were to worship as he described in the place that he chose. And so for us, as God's people, we handle our sexuality, our finances, our work, our family, our church life, not as the world around us, not as we choose, but as God has prescribed for us in this book, which we believe to be his words for us. Moses goes on and says, when you do go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, the promised land, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety, then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you. Your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contribution you present, all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters and your, your male servants and your female servants and the Levite that's in your town since he has no portion or, portion or inheritance with you. Take care that you do not offer your burnt offerings at any place that you see, but at the place that the Lord will choose in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I am commanding you. They are to worship God where he chose as he commanded. And it was to be inclusive worship. Even the slaves were to be involved. It was to be joyous worship. They rejoiced before the Lord because in the land, things were going to get good. They were going to get fat in the land, right? And that joyous expression of thanks back to God safeguarded their heart from so much 
sin and temptation. Moses is pressing us to acknowledge that God demands exclusive rights to our worship to the point that he won't even share space with other gods. He won't even rent their buildings. Pluralism is not an option. It's not Yahweh plus, it's Yahweh period. It is not as we please, but as he pleases. And we learn, too, that God wants us to go to great extremes to protect the purity of his worship and the devotion of our hearts. How is that going for you? Are you doing whatever is necessary to protect your heart from its idolatrous affections? Idols show themselves in disobedience. Is there any disobedience that you're tolerating? That you're excusing or rationalizing or protecting? Um, author and counselor David Paulison has written a series of questions he calls x-ray questions. And they are designed to help us penetrate our fog of self-cluelessness about what our idols are. Here's a sampling. He says, what do you want, desire, crave, lust, and wish for? What desires do you serve and obey? Here's another one. What do you fear? What do you not want? What do you tend to worry about? And where do you find refuge, safety, comfort, escape, pleasure, security? Whom must you please? Whose opinion of you counts? Whose love and approval do you need? Those are just four of the 35 x-ray questions he's put together to think about where these idolatrous affections might be lurking. I'll, I'll post that at our leadership blog on the website this week. How are you doing at dealing destructive, crushing blows to the idols of your heart? He says in verse 15, a new set of instructions. He says, you may slaughter and eat meat within any of your towns. As much as you desire, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he's given you, the unclean and the clean may eat of it, as of the gazelle and of the deer. Only you shall not eat the blood. You shall pour it out on the earth like water. You may not eat within your towns the tithe of your grain or the wine or of your oil or the firstborn of your herd or your flock or any of your vow offerings that you vow or your freewill offerings or the contribution that you present, but you shall eat them before the Lord your God in the place that the Lord your God will choose. You and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite who's within your towns, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all that you undertake. Take care that you do not neglect the Levite as long as you live in the land. A couple of things you'll notice right away. There's some repetition here, okay? Did you hear it? That's because it's a sermon. It's what we do, okay? We repeat ourselves because you've already forgotten what I said at the beginning of the sermon. Okay? 
Moses knows that. This is an oral exercise. This is being read aloud to the people. They didn't have the big screen in the Bible. They're listening. But there's a distinction here as well. He, he gives them, uh, you know, he, he says your offerings have to be given in the place of the Lord choosing. But there's freedom just for your regular meals and the slaughter that's necessary for that. You can do that anywhere. You can have a cookout in anybody's backyard, he says. That's okay. The offerings have to be done at this particular place. Okay. So there's a lot of freedom except for one thing. Did you pick up on it? The blood. He says, you can't do that with the blood. Even the blood that you slaughter for your cookout. That you can't eat. That you have to pour on the ground. Um, now, that's a little bit um, of, a, of a difficult um, issue, and I'd like to explore it with you to begin to help to give you some tools to think about how you figure out how this law and what of this law comes forward in what shape into our lives in this day. So let's think about this restriction about the blood. And there are a couple different approaches that are commonly taken. They can work together um, to think about what law comes forward into our lives and what does not. Um, sometimes people will try to figure out, uh, divide the law into three different categories. A ceremonial law, um, a civil law, and a moral law. Let me give you an example first of a law that might be considered civil. The civil and ceremonial laws, we would say, were for those folks in that time. They still teach us, they still show us God, reveal principles to us, but we're not under those laws. The moral laws we would say come all the way into this day. So here's an example of a civil law, perhaps. From Deuteronomy 24, you shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your town. Okay, this is a work, this is a work law. This is part of a civil, the governing of their civil society. Okay? Now, um, here's an example, rather bold one, of a, of a ceremonial law. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Okay, that sounds really ceremonial. We don't do that these days, okay? We don't worry about that. You know, there's no checking at the door. We don't do this. Okay, it sounds pretty ceremonial, all right? Uh, here's one that we would say is probably moral. Um, chapter 23 as well. None of the daughters of Israel shall be a cult prostitute, and none of the sons of Israel shall be a cult prostitute. All right, that's an example of those three categories of law. This, this sounds pretty moral, doesn't it? Uh, no prostitutes. We do that. We, we don't do prostitutes. That comes into our day. Um, of course, the challenge with this, the biggest challenge is it's hard to figure out sometimes what goes in what category. And honestly, this is very, this is very difficult. But it's a helpful process. And it helps you make some determination of, of, about that. Um, the other approach, which again can be used in conjunction with this, is, is to look primarily to the New Testament to watch for laws that persist from the old into the new and to recognize that those, those are, have an internal, unchanging character about them, not only for the people of God in the promised land in the Old Testament, but also for us um, today. So if you were operating with that, uh, you would look back at these same sets of laws and you would say that whole crushed parts thing not in the assembly. Okay, that's not reiterated in the New Testament, so we don't have to do that. 
you would look at the um, situation with the prostitute and you would say, oh, 1 Corinthians 6 explicitly says, shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. So the New Testament affirms the Old Testament teaching about those kinds of sexual uh, matters. Um, But these two approaches, again, often work together. They yield pretty similar results, but there are some that get pretty tricky. Um, I would say a very small percentage, maybe 10% or less, are puzzles as to whether or not they pertain to us directly today or not. One of those might be, for instance, this whole situation with only you should not eat the blood in verse 16. I'll show it to you. Verse 16 says, uh, you shall not eat the blood, you shall pour it out on the earth like water. Now, that sounds pretty ceremonial, don't you think? First blush, sounds pretty ceremonial. Uh, Some kind of ritual uh, related to the blood. Um, But, some complexity here. Now, again, Put your thinking caps on. Stay with me. Okay? You have to think your way through this. Because in Genesis 9, before the law of Moses, look what we read. Let me back up here um, one screen. In Genesis chapter 9, it says to Noah, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I give you the green plants, I give you everything. So you can eat meat, he's saying. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. So this is even before the law of Moses. Some would say this is akin to a creation ordinance, so it must have some kind of enduring, timeless character. You add to that idea, if you look to the New Testament in Acts chapter 15, they're trying to figure out all these Gentiles are coming to believe in in Jesus as as the Christ, the Messiah, what to do with them, what rules must they follow. And this is their judgment. Our judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things, four things, things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled and from blood. Don't eat the things that have blood in them. It's reiterated It precedes the law. It's reiterated in the New Testament. Sounds pretty pertaining. It it, um, might continue very well to our present day. So, your friend Bubba is having a cookout. Bubba is making his legendary, yes, blood sausage of which the ingredient in said recipe might be up to a quart of blood from beef or from pork, depending on the sausage that he's making. Now, I can tell that many of you, this is not a theological matter. You are not eating Bubba's (laughs) blood sausage. Done deal. We can stop the conversation right now. But I did meet a lady between services who was raised in another country, and she loves blood sausage. Okay, Loves it. It's so tasty. I'm going to take her word for that. Um, but it's, it's kind of complicated. Can you eat Bubba sausage? Now, someone say Genesis 9 seals the deal. It predates the law of Moses, so it must be some kind of eternal abiding thing. Now, the questions around that are, does every law or more prior to the law of Moses have some kind of eternal character? There's that weird situation in Genesis 38 where if a brother dies... 
his brother is supposed to father children from his wife for his law. Is that, we, we don't do that today. We consider that to be pretty ceremonial or civil or something back yon. We don't do that, okay? Not espousing that, we don't do that. Um, plus, the Genesis 9 passage, the blood is very symbolic, very ritualistic. It represents the life, particularly the lifeblood of man and the sacredness of life, amongst other things. Um, now, some others will point to the New Testament and say, hey, it's repeated in the New Testament. We're good. I mean, we're not good. Bubba, can't do it. Give me a little PBJ. Can't do the blood sausage thing. But the problem is in those four things in Acts 15, did you notice one of the other ones was you can't eat things that have been sacrificed to idols, right? Old Testament law brought into the New Testament, repeated. What does Paul do in both 1 Corinthians and Romans? He gives you permission, if your conscience is clear, to eat meat sacrificed to idols. So maybe these things in Acts 15 are not to close the door laws for all people of all time. It's complicated. You have to put your thinking caps on. Um, my counsel would be don't eat Bubba's blood sausage. It's creepy. Okay, Just don't do it. Okay. That's my counsel to you. But if you think you can, if you think you have permission because of the broader teaching of the New Testament that all food is clean if it's eaten with a thankful heart and the fact that there are exceptions in that Acts 15 passage such as the sacrifice, meat sacrificed to idols are now okay. Then Paul's instructions on um, disputed matters should apply to you. If you take your wife along and she's convinced this is a violation of God's law it would be sin for her to eat, you ought not eat lest you lead your wife into sin. Now, if you're someone who thinks that this is prohibited, that the Genesis 9 passage and the Acts 15 passage bump together, uh, it, this is a done deal. This, this no, you're not going to do this. Okay. Um, then at Paul's instructions on disputed matters would apply to you as well. You ought not try to keep your husband from eating this stuff, except maybe for health reasons. It's really creepy. I don't know. Um, but you ought not be his conscience, and you ought not try to impress upon him your conscience. Paul says. There are, I think, um, let me just say that I, I would probably fall on the side of freedom in this area personally um, because of the flexibility in the Acts 15 teaching and the evident symbolic use in Acts 9 of the blood. Um, that's my personal conviction. Uh, having reflected on this but there's much more significant application that comes out of the blood than whether you eat Bubba's blood sausage or not. See, in Acts 9, the blood, one of the powers of the symbol of the blood is that it does represent life, the sacredness of life, particularly human life. And some of you walked yesterday to raise support for our local pregnancy support services. The symbolism of the sacredness of human blood has much more to do with the issue of abortion than it does with Bubba's blood sausage. Um, and oh, is it a powerful pointer to Christ whose life's blood was shed for our sins of which we must drink. 
Can you see how the law points to Christ? It does it often and beautifully. Whatever your choice about these matters that must be grounded in the Scriptures, not just, I like that sausage, so I think it's okay to eat it. No, no, what does the Word say? Does the Word free you to do it? Does it restrain you? Will you do whatever the Word says you must do? Will you refrain from whatever the Word says you must refrain from? Will you do that? Is that your level of obedience? Verses 20 to 27 are um, more sermonic repetition. I'm going to skip them. I'm going to go right to verse 28 as we get ready to close. Um, Be careful, Moses says, to obey all these words that I command you, that it may go well with you and with your children after you forever when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. Your obedience matters. It matters to your children. And having established that again and again and again, Moses now goes back and restates pretty much what he said in the first four verses. He says, When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess, and you dispossess them, and you dwell in their land, take care that you have not been ensnared to follow them. Beware the snare of idolatry. After they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their God, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? That I may also do the same. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they've done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Everything that I command you, Moses says, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. We are not to live and worship like those around us who do not worship our king. They chase possessions. They hope in comfort and pleasure. They're ensnared by sexual temptations. They live to be better than their neighbors, to outdo their coworkers, to compete, not to lovingly serve. They're concerned about how they are doing what they desire. They worship most of them at the altar of me. But not us. Obedience to the commands of our God safeguards us from the idolatrous practices of those around us who do not worship our King. It is His love for us that brings the law to us. Beware of the snare of wanting to live and worship like those who not believe in our king. There are places where they worship where you cannot go anymore. There are things that they delight in in their worship that you cannot delight in anymore. There are things that they worship that you cannot coddle anymore. You must surely destroy, tear down, dash to pieces, burn, chop down, and again, destroy their idol's name from this place. You must take a giant step back from the edge of idolatry. 
as Jeff said last week, today is the day to obey. Will you, as God is prompting you, covenant today to take that step? Let's pray. Christ, have mercy upon us. We are foolishly given in our hearts at many levels to lesser gods who rob us and plunder us though they promise us otherwise. And today, your word shows us how much more you deserve hearts wholly given to you than any other idol. So Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who sit here patiently before me that your word might make plain to them areas where disobedience reveals idolatry and affection and a hope and a satisfaction in things that promise but do not deliver hopes that should be vested in you and Lord as they as they consecrate their lives today to do whatever you would ask whatever it takes to be free. I pray that you would meet them and delight in them and bless them and rescue them. We ask this in Jesus' name.